in, but I'll tell you, this last Friday night was epic. So we had an incredible Nerf battle with our student ministry that happened on Friday night, and it was great. But I say that just to give you a heads up. You're going to find these everywhere for the next 18 months. In fact, like the kids everyone did a great job of like cleaning up and everything, picking all these darts up. But just this morning, I think our count is around 2021, 20, I think is what we've heard so far. Make that 22. Uh, but that's just great. Like you want to see that kind of thing happening, especially in our middle schoolers, love seeing them have an absolute blast. Uh, but to see that, like I wanted to witness it with my own eyes. So I brought my kids, my three kids, like, hey, let's just go see. They're having this really cool Nerf war. Let's just go see what it looks like. We'll say, hey, give some high fives, and then we'll head on out uh, from there. So we show up and we just get to witness what like 30 plus middle school plus leaders look like throughout this whole building with Nerf guns, Nerf battle and the whole thing. And like I said, we intended to just come and watch, but it didn't take but a couple minutes for my kids to be like, oh, we're staying, right? <laughs> and then all the leaders are looking at me like, you're staying, right? So we went from watching to being warriors within just a couple minutes. And so we got our bandanas on his green team versus the orange team. I had my daughter with me, we're running around. Man, we had so much fun. It was a blast. Um, I shot one of our parking lot volunteers right in the forehead. I got shot multiple times, but it was a blast. It was great. But what made it fun and, and super engaging was we went from, and me at least, I anticipated just watching. Let me just come and observe what this is going to look like with a bunch of middle schoolers on a Friday night. I just don't, I don't want to participate. I just want to watch. But then something changed where, no, watching wasn't enough. I wanted to participate and to be engaged. And something changes when we don't just observe, but we get engaged and participate. We see that with Jesus. Jesus came to earth not to just watch us, not to just observe us, not to just see what life is like for his creation. He came to be with us, to be a warrior with us, to fight alongside of us and to fight for us, to experience all that we experience here on earth, to feel what we feel and to truly be with us. John chapter one says it in a lot better language. John chapter one, verse 14. So the word and the word, when you see that, especially in all caps, is referring to Jesus Christ. So Jesus, the word, became human and he made his home among us. And look, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only son, Jesus. He came to not observe, not to just check things out. He came to participate. He came to be engaged. He came to be a warrior alongside of us. This entire month, every week in August, we've been looking at specific stories throughout scripture where Jesus felt what we feel, where he experienced what we are currently or have or will have to navigate and experience. So we've seen stories where Jesus was rejected and insulted like us. We've seen stories where Jesus was experiencing difficulties and trials and temptations like us. We've seen Jesus deal with tiredness and exhaustion and busy schedules like us, but unlike us, he did it perfectly. He did it without sin, Hebrews tells us. So the whole point of what we've been trying to do is each week, see what Jesus has gone through, 
that we go through so that he can help us. We're told that we find grace and mercy and help when we come to him who's already walked through it and experienced it. So I hope you find, find joy and even peace in that, that whatever you're walking through, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing, Jesus has been there, done that. And he came out perfectly on the other side. So may we find our hope and our help only in Jesus, because he doesn't just know about us, he gets us and he knows what it's like to truly walk in our shoes. So as we wrap up our series today, we're going to be in John chapter 11. If you've got a Bible, be there. We're going to go through a story there. If you don't have a Bible, I've got a stack of Bibles right outside in the lobby. Make sure you grab a Bible. That is our gift to you. The best gift I know how to give is, is a Bible for you. Before we jump into the story, though, let me give you a little context, though. We're going to see Jesus experience heartbreak. He's going to experience grief. He's going to experience sorrow because of the loss of a close friend. Close friend of his named Lazarus is going to pass away, and he is going to experience the grief and pain of losing someone. Now, just by me saying that, I know that that is already going to stir up some things inside of you. We all experience grief from all kinds of different reasons and things and because of different situations. That grief, typically we associate that level of grief and that level of sorrow that's usually in context of losing someone someone dying and passing away. But we can grieve all kinds of things. Anything that we care about that is no longer with us, or maybe it's been changed and it's now different, that's something that we can grieve. So maybe you grieve losing a job. Job you had, no longer have anymore, so you have sorrow and grief attached to it. Maybe you have grief around a marriage that is falling apart. It's not the way that it should be. It's not, this isn't what we should or could be. So you grieve the relationship. Some of you parents have sent your child off to college. Some of you, that's grief. Some of you, that is reasons to celebrate. I will let you determine which <laughs> camp you fall in. Maybe a little bit of both. You cry, and then you're excited, then you cry some more, and then the husband's like, oh, I, didn't, I don't know what to do with this. Um, so you're probably somewhere in between. We can grieve all kinds of different things, but especially the loss of a relationship. But what we're going to see is grief is a good thing. It can be used for good. We're going to see that our grief can actually bring about the blessing of comfort. We're going to see that our sadness can help us rediscover joy and the deep sorrow that we feel when someone is taken away or when we lose or when something in our life changes. We're going to see that sorrow can actually point us to hope. Jesus is going to show us personally that it's okay to grieve. It's what makes us human. But there's also a right way to grieve. Now, with all that being said, easier said than done. I get it. That grief is not a one and done thing and a short message on a Sunday morning is not gonna solve all of your grieving processes or problems. So let me just say this. If you are currently walking through deep grief and sorrow and heartache and sadness and pain, Please do not expect in 27 minutes to walk out like, oh, man, I'm so glad Pastor Brian talked about that. I feel so much better. This is one step in a long journey. And we want to be here with you, alongside you for that journey. So let us know how we can help. But I also recognize that it's not just us. It's not just your church family that can help. We have great relationships and great partners that are in counseling, that do Christian counseling. Man, let me, please hear this. And I hope if, if you've not heard this before, then hear it from me for the first time. Counseling is a sign of strength. As you step into counseling, you will have somebody walk alongside you that helps you navigate the process 
of grief and sorrow. So do not walk through this alone. If we can help with that as a church, if we can refer you to some of our partners that are counselors uh, in Christian counseling, let us know. Use that QR code that's right there on the seat back. Go to next steps, click the next step button, and you'll see some counseling uh, options. And just let us know. Find me in the lobby. I'll get your email. I'll send you a bunch of recommendations and references. Uh, but bottom line, you're going to see Jesus grief, but you're also going to see a community grief. So don't go through it alone. Let me pray, and we'll dive into our story this morning. God, thank you so much for coming to make your home among us, not just observing, not just watching, but moving in with us, walking alongside of us, feeling like us, knowing us and getting us. And I pray that as we go through a, a heavy subject today that brings up all kinds of emotions and brings up all kinds of history, God, I pray that you continue through your word, point us to comfort, point us to joy, peace, and most importantly, hope. May we put our hope in you, and may we hear that from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so John chapter 11, as I said, uh, Lazarus, a close friend of Jesus, dies and passes away. In fact, before he passed away, the two sisters of Lazarus, there, there's your family. It's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, all siblings. Lazarus was ill, looked like he was getting ready to die. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus saying, Jesus, your friend is about to die. So you need to come and do something about it. Jesus didn't get there on time. That's a whole nother message that we're not gonna talk through today, but it's a fascinating message. Read it, read it on your own if you want. Jesus shows up after Lazarus has already died. And of course, you can imagine the scene that Jesus walks into. It's the scene of a funeral. Lazarus has passed away. His two sisters, Mary and Martha, are grieving. The family is grieving. Friends are grieving. That's the scene that we start out with. So if you've got your Bibles, John chapter 11, starting in verse 33, here's what Jesus walks into. When Jesus saw her, talking about the sister of Lazarus, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw other people wailing with her, notice the emotion, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Like already you see the grief and the sorrow, the pain associated with losing somebody close. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus knows how this story is gonna end. If you've heard this story before, you know how it's gonna end. It's gonna end with Lazarus being raised from the grave by Jesus. But even so, there's a lot of grieving that happens before the miracle. Keep paying attention to those emotions before we ever get to the miracle. Verse 34, well, where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Famously known as verse 35 as the shortest verse in all of scripture. And it refers to Jesus grieving. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, well, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? You hear the confliction that happens in our grief. Verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, Lazarus's sister, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Every family has a realist. Martha is their family's realist. Jesus, we appreciate you coming. We are all very sad and full of sorrow right now. And I understand you wanna help us. That's not helping. Do not open the tomb. He's been in there four days. He will stink. He will smell. Jesus, surely you, as son of God, knows this. Verse 40, notice Jesus' response. 
Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. He called him by name out of the grave and the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible miracle. But what we're focusing on is not the miracle of Lazarus coming back to life. We're focusing on Jesus's heartbreak and the grief and the sorrow that happens at the beginning and even the middle of the story. So yes, we know how the story ends. We see that Lazarus comes back to life, but before Lazarus comes back to life, there's a lot of grief. Even notice some of those words from Jesus's perspective, deeply troubled, a deep anger. Jesus wept, still angry. Like all of those speak to the grief, the heartbreak, the heartache, the sorrow and the pain that Jesus was feeling. Now, what I, I wanna point out, when Jesus showed up, he didn't go straight to fixing the problem, did he? Now, granted, Jesus most certainly can, and as we know how the story goes, will fix the problem, but he doesn't show up saying, all right, um, who needs the resurrection again? Like, oh yeah, dead guy over here, let me come over here real fast. No, he, he doesn't show up just to fix the problem, just to bring Lazarus back to life. Yes, the problem is Lazarus died. And yes, Jesus has the power to raise him from the grave. So we have a problem. We have a solution. But Jesus didn't seem focused, hyper-focused on the solution yet. He showed up not to solve a problem in a very stoic, detached manner. Where's the problem? I'm the solution. Now it's fixed. Moving on. He showed up and felt the grief and felt the sorrow and allowed himself to experience heartbreak before Jesus ever solved any problem, he grieved, he wept, he experienced sorrow. Before he fixed it, he felt it. And some of you need to wrestle with that. We just get into fix it mode. Well, here's the problem, here's the solution, here's what we need to do, great, let's move on. Before we jump into just fixing things, can we slow down and experience the heart behind it? And a lot of times that, it, that includes heartbreak, heartache, sorrow, grief, and even pain. But before he tried or even thought about fixing anything publicly, he allowed himself to sit in grief, to sit in the sorrow of losing a close friend, and he wept. I love that we see that about Jesus, though. He's showing us as an example, first of all, that it's okay to grieve, it's okay to weep, it's okay to mourn, it's okay to have sorrow and heartbreak. He's telling us it's human, it's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. It's, it's helpful. Because what it does is it actually shows us our grief and our sadness and our sorrow actually is a pretty good window into what we think is important, into what we value. Because what you grieve is something that was obviously important. You don't grieve about things you don't care about. You grieve about the things that matter. You grieve about the relationships that you hold highly and, and think are valuable and meaningful. Your grief, your sorrow, your sadness gives great insight into what you value, into what you think matters, into what you find important and what you believe is meaningful. 
So when you grieve, that gives great insight into what you care about. So the fact that Jesus was grieving, he was mourning and he was weeping and his heart broke, that proves that he actually finds us valuable, that he grieves the loss and he grieves that relationship. Oftentimes, especially in grief, a big question gets asked, believers and non-believers. Well, does God even care? Does he really even care? Does he care about me? Does he care about my situation? If he's really there, then he really would care. And what we see here where Jesus wept and he grieved, we see that that's proof to that question. Does he care? Yes. Because if he didn't care, he wouldn't have wept. If he didn't care, he wouldn't have grieved. He wouldn't have allowed his heart to break. So Jesus most certainly cares about us, about our relationship with him and our relationship with others. And when that is broken, he weeps, he grieves, and he experiences heartache and heartbreak just like we do. Even verse 33, where we started with this story, notice what he walked into and what that did to his heart. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. So it, it wasn't just his personal loss of a friend, Lazarus. He also saw what that loss did to other people. He saw what it was like for the sisters to be weeping. He saw what it was like for the other friends and the family to be hurting. And when he saw them, that's when that grief really set in. A deep anger, deeply troubled, agitated might be another word, flustered and frustrated. I can't believe this is happening. I hate that this is happening to people that I love. Jesus was sad because his friends were sad, in other words. When Jesus saw other people hurting, his heart hurt. Parents, we do this, don't we? When you see your kid get hurt, it's like, I hate seeing them hurt. And when they hurt, I begin to hurt because I don't want them to have to experience that. So I get down on my knees and I hurt with them. Spouses, you do this. When your spouse is hurting or struggling, you're not detached. You shouldn't be detached from that. No, you get with them. And, and whether it's your personal experience or not, you experience that with them. That's called empathy. And you walk alongside them, you celebrate with them, but you also mourn with them. You rejoice with them, but you also hurt with them. Now, quick side note here. Jesus, as he's in that word anger, sometimes throws people off, says that he was deeply troubled and had a deep anger. What was he so angry about? Here's what I think. Could be wrong. Here's what I think. I think he saw the true devastation of our sin and it made him mad because sin was not part of God's plan. Like God intended for us to be in perfect unity with him forever. So sin was not God's plan, sin was our mistake. And so we chose sin over God doing our own thing instead of following God's way and that severed our relationship with him and ushered in death. So Jesus is witnessing firsthand with a close friend what sin has truly done. And it broke his heart and it made him mad because this is not the way things were supposed to be. This is not how my children were supposed to live. And it makes him upset. He's mad at sin. He's not mad at someone. He's mad at the consequence of sin and him having to watch us deal with those consequences. He hurts when we hurt. It's a great reminder, too, of the, the relationship 
that we have with one another, right? Jesus is weeping, mourning, and, and grieving with friends, amongst friends. It's not in isolation. It's with other people. It's a reminder that one of, not the greatest, but one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is us, is each other, is relationships and his community. I mean, the body of Christ is built up so that we not just worship God. You can worship God on your own. You can study God's word on your own. There's a lot about your faith that really is your own, but we do things together because of the us, because we're not intended to walk through this life alone. When we do grieve and we do go through sorrow, we're intended to have each other's backs on that, to carry one another's burdens. Jesus is showing us that, that one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is each other, is us. You don't have to turn there, but in Romans chapter 12, you get this long list of just great boundaries, guidelines, basically a playbook for having great relationships. Not necessarily romantic relationships, just good friendships with each other. There's everything in here from make sure that you actually love people and you don't just pretend to. That seems kind of common sense, but we probably need to know that every now and then. We hold to what's good. We're genuine. We're honoring. We rejoice. We pray. Like there's all these lists of here's how to have healthy relationships. And right smack in the middle of that list is verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. And then he goes back in to jump back in with more of the list. And here's how you're unified and you don't repay back evil. No, you, so there's like all these things. And right in the middle of it is when somebody else is happy, you get to be happy with them. Whether that's your reason to be happy, if it's theirs, then you join them in that. You empathize with them. You walk alongside them. If you're walking along life with someone, then you get to celebrate when they have a reason to celebrate. But on the flip side, you also weep when they weep. You're sad when they're sad. When they're grieving, you grieve. When they experience heartbreak, you allow your heart to break for them as well. Jesus shows us that. He models that for us. But this isn't just about being a good friend. It's not make sure if you want to have good relationships, weep with those who weep and be happy with those who are happy. No, what we get insight into is this is God's plan for comfort. I said earlier that grief brings about comfort, but how does that actually work? Here's God's plan for it. 2 Corinthians tells us very clearly. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all what? Comfort, the source of it. Not a place to get comfort, not a good idea to find comfort, not comforting. He is the source of all comfort. So much we look for other places to find that. We find other people and other things and other ways to find comfort, and it always comes back void, always comes back empty because he's the source of it. So what do we do with that comfort? If he's the source of it, verse 4, he comforts us in all our troubles, but look at why. Here's the big plan. So that we can comfort others. When they are in trouble, now we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. So you see God's plan for comfort? We go to him. He's the source. So when we experience trouble, sorrow, grief, and heartache, we go to him because he's the source. And we go to him and we receive comfort. It comes from him as the source. So we get comfort. But what are we supposed to do with that comfort? Do I just hold on to that comfort? Is that just comfort for me and nobody else? Now that I've experienced grief and sorrow, I'm so glad that I went to God to receive my comfort. What do I do with it? What scripture tell us? We're supposed to give it to somebody else. So somebody else that has experienced heartbreak and comfort, they get it and then it goes to somebody else and then somebody else and it's still going. 
One more now. Whoever that lands on, hold on to it all the way in the back. Your job is to hold on to it the rest of service. Can you handle that? Are you sure? You want to have one of the kids in the front row hold it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're like, I got it. I got it. Please hold on to that. <laughs> Do not send it up here. Love you guys. That's how comfort works is we go to God who's the source of all comfort. And yes, we receive comfort from all of our troubles, but we do so with the intent of now being able to comfort somebody else. Because you're gonna go through something that I've already been through and I'm gonna be able to help you along the way. Let me tell you how God's helped me through that. And then you have that experience and now you have that comfort and somebody else that you know that's in your circle of influence and in your life, they're gonna experience something that you're gonna say, hey, I relate to that, I've been there. Can I walk alongside you? Can I pray with you? Can I help you? And now they're going to have that same comfort. It's going to go on and on and on. That's how God intends the comfort to work. And Jesus shows that. He doesn't just fix the problem. He allows himself to grieve, but he grieves with the friends, with his friends. And he shows them that comfort comes from community to use the comfort that God has given us so that we can comfort others. So Jesus has allowed himself to feel grief. He's allowed his heart to break. Before he fixed anything, he felt it. He recognized community is important, that you grieve with people. That's what friends do. That's what matters in, that's one of the things that matters in relationships. But he also went to God. Sometimes this is where we stop. We grieve, we grieve with people, and then we're done. There's, there's more to this story. No, our grief should drive us into the arms of the Father. Our grief, our sorrow, our pain, sadness, and heartache should drive us and push us and move us to God. Sometimes I've talked about this before where you're either on your heels or on your toes. Heels means you back away. Toes mean you're leaning forward. And grief should cause us to lean forward and lean into our relationship with God. Jesus does this. Let me read just, just part of this here. Uh, Jesus looked up into heaven. He's getting ready to pray. And the prayer is, Father, Thank you for hearing me. Just part of his prayer. Thank you for hearing me. What a great prayer. Next month, we're gonna talk about all kinds of prayers and how to pray, how to grow in your prayer life. This is one of those. See, so often when we're grieving and experiencing sorrow, our prayers are in a couple different categories. One is a lot of anger. And just know this, God can handle that. Jesus felt anger. So he can handle your emotions, he can handle your anger. That anger usually comes out of, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why didn't you do anything about it? We're asking the why question. We want an explanation. Sometimes we want God to just fix it. God, I believe that you can, if you will, so, so please, please. And we start to almost like, comes across as begging. God, would you please fix it? Would you please do this? Would you? We're asking. Sometimes we want an explanation. Sometimes we're just wanting things fixed. And what Jesus does here is neither one of those. He's not asking for anything. He's not asking for explanations. He's not needing an explanation. He says one phrase, Father, thank you for hearing me. It is a powerful prayer when you're grieving. And I would urge you not to minimize your grief and your own sorrows. But when you're grieving, sure, ask. Sure, ask for the explanation. But this is a powerful prayer that says, God, I just need you to hear me. Because what has to happen in order to be heard? Somebody has to be close. 
So in other words, you're saying, God, thanks for being close. To hear, especially to hear a whisper, sometimes our sorrows come out in loud voices. Sometimes they are quiet sobs. And God is close enough to hear you. You also have to care. You're not going to listen to somebody that you don't care about. So when you say, God, thank you for hearing me, you're saying, thank you for being close to me. Thank you for caring. If I've had a rough day or a rough week or things are going in in life, and I go and I sit down with Becky, we sit out in our patio usually, I'm not asking her to fix things. I'm not looking for an explanation. You know what I want her to do? I just want her to listen. Can I just talk? I can talk a lot. Can I just share and tell you what I'm thinking and feeling? And I don't know what the fixes are and I don't know what to do, but can I just talk and she'll just listen. She'll be close, she'll care, and she'll listen. That is one of the best prayers when you're grieving. God, I don't have the words, I don't know why, and I don't know how, and I don't know what, but Father, thank you for listening. And I would, I would hope that you would almost have this image of that prayer of you sitting on your dad's lap, your heavenly father holding you, listening to you grieve. Father, thank you for hearing me. Psalm speaks to that same type of prayer. Psalm 34, verse 17 says, the Lord hears his people when they call out to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to you when your heart is broken. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. When you get the wind knocked out of you, when you're grieving and full of pain, he is close to you. So allow grief to do that. Feel it, grieve, grieve with community, grieve with one another, but allow that grief to move you and push you and drive you into the arms of your heavenly father. Last thing we see Jesus do here is he looks ahead Right? So grief is when we experience a loss or a change in a negative way. We're missing something. So what we see Jesus is he grieves, but he's also grieving while looking ahead. He grieves while also looking for hope. So that's what I would tell you. Grieve, but grieve with hope. And I say that because of what Jesus does here. We're told that Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. So as he's walking, now again, Jesus knows there's going to be a resurrection. Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So it's not like Jesus is surprised when this happens. But even so, on his way to resurrecting Lazarus, he's still grieving. He's still angry. On his way to the tomb to bring Lazarus back from the dead, Jesus is still angry. He's still grieving on his way there. He gets there and he tells him to roll the stone aside. Remember what our realist Martha said? No, it's going to stink. Don't do that. Do you remember Jesus's response? He points to the future. Verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So we see Jesus doing both. He's grieving for what was lost, but he's looking forward to the life that's about to come back. He's grieving with hope. Grief happens, grieving happens when we realize what is lost. Hope happens when you realize what is to be gained, when you realize what you're about to receive. So Jesus is doing both. He sees what is lost, but he sees what's about to happen. He recognizes the hurt, but he sees what's worth being hopeful about. And yes, you can do both. You can grieve with hope. 
1 Thessalonians, Paul's writing to an early church and he focuses, hyper-focuses on this idea of grief and hope. Listen to his words here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He writes, and now dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. Look at why, why is this so important? So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. It's not so that you don't grieve, it's so that you don't grieve like people with no hope. He goes on, verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So you can grieve with hope or you can grieve without hope. There's not an option to not grieve. We will all experience, all experience sorrow and grief in some way, at some point. So Paul is echoing what Jesus was trying to get across. Grieve, but grieve with hope. Grieve and yes, recognize a relationship that has been lost or severed or changed, but look forward to what is to come, the hope and life that we will receive. This story of Lazarus, his death and his resurrection is a story that begins with sadness and grief, weeping, wailing, but through the course of the story, it ends with hope and life. That is the story of us, a life full of grief, a life full of sorrow and heartbreak and heartache and pain and difficulty. But it's a story that ends, if you believe in Jesus, with life and hope. Because what we experience here is temporary. We are promised and given hope for something so much more. Revelation chapter 21. Many of you probably are familiar with this passage. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Do you hear the words no more for each of those? No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of these things will be gone. What's that last word? Forever. And that's a big word, forever. Like we can't really comprehend that word forever. We understand pain, we understand sorrow, we understand crying, we understand death. Like we can get those, we feel those and we experience those, but you mean those are gonna be gone forever? How do we be, even begin to wrap our minds around that? I'm not saying this will necessarily help, but uh, you may or may not have seen this before. I, was, I saw this, got to witness this, man, many, many years ago. And it has truly, truly stuck with me. So uh, if you've seen this before, I'm sure it's impacted you as much as me. The idea behind it is this red part of the rope represents our life here on earth. So pretty solid 80-ish years. For some of you, more. For some of you, less. That's our life. Birth, death. That's what we've been given on this earth. And that's what we live for, we work for, we have a relationship here. This is where we grieve in this red part here, because that's our life on earth. But what we're told is, well, that's not everything. We're told we're given eternity that goes on forever. So if the red part is our life here, then the rest of this rope that goes on and on and on and on and on, that's eternity. And so we focus so much on this part and we get so caught up on this part. We work so hard for the parts in this part of our life and we forget we have an entire eternity we're also focused on or need to focus on. And it doesn't change the pain here, but it does change our perspective, doesn't it? That's how you grieve with hope. I can grieve something in this part right here, but I grieve with seeing the hope 
of eternal life, the hope where there's no more pain, no more crying, no more sorrow, that it's gone, what was the word again? Forever. Now, does that mean that these parts in our life don't matter? Of course not. Absolutely matters. The decisions we make here actually impact our eternity. It impacts where we are forever. That's why we always say here every single Sunday, put your trust in Jesus. Because your trust in Jesus today doesn't just impact you for the rest of this life, it impacts you for the rest of this life as well. So yes, we grieve. We're going to grieve parts of our life. But don't miss the eternity. Don't miss what forever looks like either. As a pastor, I have the privilege of being with people in their highest of highs and their lowest of lows. That means a lot of weddings. That means a lot of funerals. And anytime I'm speaking at a funeral, standing on some kind of a stage, looking into a group of people that are hurting, that are full of nothing but grief and sorrow and pain. So what do you say to a group of people like that? I've found that I don't have great words. Paul in Romans has much better words than anything I could ever come up with. So I want to share with you what I share with people that are hurting and grieving every time I go to a funeral. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And I pray that the source of hope, that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. It's not filled with peace and filled with joy and filled with hope because the problems get solved or because everything gets better or we never face any problems. No, I pray that God, the source of hope, just like he's the source of comfort, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you put your trust in him. And then once you put your trust in him, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So my hope is you would put your trust in Jesus, that you would trust that his word is true, always and forever, even when life is confusing, that you would trust that he's good, even when life is not, that you would trust that he is with you, even when you feel alone, that you would trust that his ways are best, even when they're not the easiest, that you would trust that all things do work for good when you have an eternal perspective that you would trust that he truly cares for you, that you would trust that he loves you, and that you would trust his promise for eternal life. That when we put our trust in him, yes, what happens in that little red tape of our life matters. And the decisions that we make to trust in Jesus in this time here, it matters because of the hope that we have to be with him for all of eternity. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the hope that we find in you. Thank you so much for the trust that we're able to put only in you. We go to you for comfort. We go to you for peace. We go to you for joy. And most certainly we go to you for hope. Bottom line is we go to you, nothing else and no one else. We put our trust and our hope in you. Jesus, for anybody in this room that is experiencing grief on any level, pray that they would find peace, not in the absence of difficulty, but in the presence of you and your spirit. For anybody in this room that hasn't accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, hasn't put their trust in you, Jesus, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, they would move in that direction, that they would see the decisions we make today do have an eternal impact. 
for anybody that has given their lives to you, Jesus, but is just struggling. I pray that we would run into our Father's arms and recognize that when we come to you, the burdens don't go away, they just get transferred. That our time with you moves our burdens from our shoulders to your shoulders and you carry them well for us. So may we run to you, put our hope in you and trust in you always. In Jesus' name, amen.